0: Listener production. I've saved myself a heap of money, not by sacrifice, by rearranging what the conversation was and
1: where we would be spending our time and effort. G'day, I'm Scott Phillips, the Motley Fool's Chief Investment Officer and the host of The Good Oil. Now, hopefully you've been around the track a few times. Hopefully you know what we do. But if you don't, if you've forgotten or if you knew... The good oil, the phrase the good oil, is giving someone the good stuff, the important stuff, and the real stuff, which, as you know, is the aim of this very podcast. We bring you conversations with entrepreneurs, executives, and experts, the people who know what's going on, and the people who make things happen. And as always, today's guest is someone who really knows what's going on, and he is also an entrepreneur who is making it happen. Owen Rask, welcome to The Good Oil. Scott, absolute pleasure. I'm so thrilled that you've asked me to come on. Thank you. Mate, you're very kind to, to join us now. You and I have a history which we will go into uh, in a little bit of time. Mate, I generally like to ask people just to, to give our listeners a bit of a, a pulse check of what's actually happening out there, the proverbial out there. Uh, we know we're recording this uh, in early October 2023, mate. In fact, we're recording this on interest rates day. So by the time this goes to air, um, you, our listeners will know we don't yet know what the RBA mm. might do this afternoon. But, mate, just from your vantage point, from the, the, the people you work with, the people you speak to, uh, what are you seeing? What's going on out there? How's, how is how's how's life in, in the broader economy in terms of what you're yeah, seeing, anyway?
0: So uh, I spend a bit of my time, uh, I juggle two, basically two businesses. One is the RAS group, which people know where I spend a lot of time talking about investing, similar to yourself. Yep. Um, not nearly as well polished, I might say, Scott. <laughs> and, and on the other side, I, uh, I'm a business coach, so I help a lot of small businesses. Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing is basically a dichotomy for the most part. So companies reporting strong financial results. Okay. Um how long that goes on, I don't know. Mm. Uh, There's obviously pockets of weakness, but I spend a lot of my time in technology companies. um, So they're pretty strong at the moment, um, defying a lot of gravity, you could say. And then on the other side, with the small businesses, they're really struggling. So more than I've seen in a very long time. And that's not just because of interest rates. It's also because of discretionary spending Mm. and things like um, instant asset uh, write-offs and these types of things being wound back. So that's I don't think that's yet to have the full impact, but what I'm seeing is a lot of weakness, and I think that's going to get worse before it gets better.
1: Nice, well, not nice, terrible, but uh, but hopefully uh, things do improve. Thank you for the insight, and again, it's. It's always important, I think, to check on individual companies, individual people, and the things that you're specifically seeing out there. Really, really matters, mate. Um, let's let's get into uh, we'll get into our background in a little bit. But you mentioned some of the businesses that you you run. You're a very very busy man. Um, <laughs> even the Rask Group itself is not one business, but I think it was about eighty five last time I checked. Um, so so mate, here's jump up on the on the pedestal on the platform. Uh, just tell our listeners what what is the Rask Group firstly, and then we'll get onto the business coaching. But what's what's the Rask Group? What, t- t- tell us about that.
0: Yeah, sure. So I spent a bit of time um, trying to polish this script. So hopefully it comes out a bit more succinct. <laughs> but as you know, we uh, worked together at the Motley Fool. It was a wonderful place to work. Um, in 2017, I decided to focus uh, my attention on financial education in Australia. And uh, since 2017, we've now grown to become one of the larger providers of whether it's online courses, we've got about 23, 24,000 students. Um, we've got podcasts, about 200,000, uh, give or take, up to 200,000 listeners of those podcasts every month. Mm. Uh, and that goes from everything from investing, small business, to property, which is something that took me to some convincing to get across <laughs> to, um, but we finally made the commute. And, uh, yeah, and then we obviously do a lot of the other things like you people would know us for, mm. uh, investing, um, those re- research-style things. So I do, I, I know we often talk about this, you and I, but I think it's a credit to you and to The Motley Fool Um being such a wonderful organization that it is, um, I was able to do that and basically say, okay, guys, my time is up for now at The Motley Fool mm. and everyone in the team has been so wonderfully supportive even for you to invite me on today. So, um, And that, I hope, goes both ways. But, yeah, this is what I do and um, uh, basically I see my role these days as now there's a team around me, I see my role as just trying to think about what's the big picture problem that we have in Australia and a lot of it is accessing advice. Um, for the financial education and financial wellness side of things. And so whether that's advice on a business, whether it's uh, financial planning, retirement, whether it's investment advice, um, for for more and more Australians becoming out of touch and um, that's a real problem because it has a lot of generational issues I think as well. Mm -hmm. Poor hygiene with money is not necessarily something that stops at one generation.
1: Um, So that's our mission. Our mission is to basically democratise that. Love it, mate. That's really, really important. As you say, we're you know we've been mates for a long time. We've worked together for, for a few years up until you mm. decided to go and, and start Rask, which you know, we're we're pretty excited about. I mean, look, to some degree, our businesses kind of overlap a little bit. Um, but I, I've said for for a long time, mate, between you guys, us, there's a couple of others out there, um, mm. this industry is 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 massive and frankly full of uh, less than ideal <laughs> uh, businesses and people in in large part. And I don't say that to Cast too many aspersions on everyone. There are absolutely no. the good guys out there, but uh, it's one of those things, mate. If you know, if 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 the motley fool and Rask are doing. Half decent jobs each. There is more than enough room for us each to grow and be really successful over a long period of time, uh, without yeah. without need to worry about each other. You know, if we're if we're fighting that particular corner, then we're missing the point. That being said, as mm-hmm. as you said, not a lot of overlap, a little bit, which is you know, which is obvious. But uh, in this case, mm-hmm. mate, uh, you know, more more power to you. And you know, uh, there's the old the old word for enemies. I don't even know if we're necessarily <laughs> that. But, uh, you know, it's it's I I, I I will happily cheer on your success uh, and a couple of others as I said Likewise. in the space. But um, it's an important thing to be done do to be doing. Mate, I want to go back to that story. A lot of our listeners love the entrepreneurial journey, and I'll ask you the question I ask many, many people. Now, you're, you're a young bloke, uh, which, as as you know well, means I, I hate you because uh, uh, <laughs> the one thing I can't get back is years. So uh, you've got you've got it over me on that one. But uh, mate, uh, the I, I've been doing this now for a decade, or twelve years. Uh, there are some people you you've left to start your own business, Andrew Page from Strawmans, and another, another one who's who's done another previous guest on the podcast. I don't know that I have it in me to throw in the day job. Now, I love my job, by the way, which also helps. But to throw in the day job and go, you know what? I'm going to start my thing. I'm going to do my thing. You've done that. And so I guess what my first question on this part of this journey is, how do you, how do you get to the point where it's like, I've got a, I've got a, a good job, um, you know, paying okay, mm-hmm. uh, working hopefully with people you're enjoying working with, or maybe you hate us, in which case, feel free to say that now. Uh, but uh, on, on the off chance that that was true. And then you go, you know what? I'm chucking the whole thing in. I'm doing this myself. Uh that is, that is, again, entrepreneurs listening are like, oh, that's easy, I get that. Other people listening are going, I would never do that. Tell us your version, your, your, your story of coming to, or maybe thinking through and then wrestling with and coming to the decision of I'm out of here, I'm doing this myself, it's now my thing, I'm, I'm taking the leap.
0: Yeah, one thing that you often say is um, history doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. And mm. I think what we see with entrepreneurialism is that it does tend to rhyme throughout someone's life. So it tends to thread through our lives without us really noticing. And I think mm. for me, it goes back to when I was a kid growing up on the farm. I learned the value of hard work and input equals output, basically. Mm. And then once I discovered that you could do more um, without basically moving your arms and your legs, you can, <laughs> you can do more um, good in the world if you use your mind more effectively. So I, I've always had that kind of idea that, What's the maximum possible impact that I can have in the world? And um for me, that was moving further and further down financial education, financial literacy. Mm. And um, it's interesting now because as of twenty twenty three, We did some research the other day and I thought, you know, this would just be younger people who are in need of this stuff. And Mm. we did a survey of one of our audiences the other day. So we've got four or five pretty big ones, but one of them in particular. And what we found is there are more people in their 70s that follow us than in their 20s. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and I thought that was really bizarre. I mean, we have an association. We do all the media for the Australian Shareholders Association, which I know you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so maybe there's a big skew there. But I thought that was really peculiar and those mm. people are looking for answers to questions like how do I give my money to the next generation effectively how can I structure my affairs but then the younger people are typically looking to accumulate assets and mm. prior to the month before <laughs> but I mean the the best type of marketing that you could get uh, sorry the best type of education you could get was marketing so you mm. could go to the Commonwealth Bank of Australia's website <laughs> and you click on that <laughs> education, yeah. education about product right yeah yeah which is just it was so bizarre to me that it seemed like no one wanted to educate um obviously that's changed in a big way thanks to people like yourself thanks to uh, bruce and the motley fool at large and yeah. um, that's really changing now and that's wonderful but for me i sat back and i saw this huge issue that we had and i'm not one of those people that sit down and do a life plan like my or son or anyone like this like it was just <laughs> I just realized that if there was asymmetry in my life, I thought that if I was going to take risk, Mm. doing it as a younger person was the single best time for me to do it because I didn't want to when I have kids. Mm. um, I didn't want to be the person that takes that risk with both feet or at least one foot in the water. I wanted to make sure that for the most part I took that risk when there was more asymmetry, there was more upside and less downside. Mm. And the way you do that is you focus on the – things that you can control and for me i knew that one thing that i would have is time to recover from severe financial loss Uh, and that might still be the case but i'd rather do that when i was in my late 20s early 30s than do it in my 50s or 60s and i speak to a lot of business owners in that's in that camp and there's nothing wrong with that but it was just something that for me if i was going to do it if my partner was going to let me do it (laughs) frankly (laughs) i would do it when i was young so you're right Like. They say the first job out of school is the by far the most profound. and for me, that was the motley fool. and I realized the value of entrepreneurialism and growth focus. like the it was never a thing where it was like of course, there's risk in these types of things, but it was like, how can we help more? How can we serve more people? How can we, and that's a very different attitude to the other focus, which is how can we protect what we've already got first? Mm. And I think if you're in that type of environment, it's just infectious. So the risk for me was never really substantial, I could
1: say. it was, a, it was to, If the opportunity is there, I just grabbed it and that's what I did. mate. And you've done remarkably well. When I look at what you've done since you left the full, mate, uh, the phrase that comes to mind is take as big a, big a bite as you can and chew like mad. Uh, because you really you didn't you didn't sort of say let me do one thing let me let me really prove that out and then let me try a second thing, uh, I don't know how many rask websites there are but I want to say there's at least five that I can just roll off into my head. Uh, you do, as you say, four different podcasts. You, you've literally made, you've you created yourself a, a multimedia uh, empire, if I can call it that, um, online, obviously, but between between you know the, the websites, uh, the, the podcasts, the email, and then actually some of the education stuff you're doing as well. You really took out a, a massive bite, mate. I'm curious as to how you thought through that part of your process um, or, or the, the, the growth plan, um, as I said, I, I I looked at what you were doing, I said, like, "Man, you know," and, and I'm really really excited to see how well you've done, mate, because, you know, the you, you walked into some really difficult areas. Uh, monetizing education and I know it's not just about monetizing it's about the education piece for you but but doing that successfully is a really 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 tough slog now on one hand no one was doing it so there was an opportunity on the other hand no one was doing it because it's very very hard to do well and to monetize well and to, to be able to just stay in business and when I say monetize I don't even necessarily mean you know, driving Ferraris I mean literally just being able to pay back the investment you're putting into it podcasts similarly I think you know 2017 I don't know if you imagined that you would have four large podcasts that are you know around the you know, all, I think all the top 10 uh business and finance podcasts you've you've absolutely kind of made every post a winner but how did you think through the the growth strategy once you've taken the leap uh, how, how did that all come about for you
0: yeah i've got to admit like i appreciate that scott but i have gotta admit like it um it's not perfect and i think a lot of business owners um think that there's going to be you know the hedonic treadmill i'll be happy when it's going to work when mm-hmm. um and the reality is that just never happens so like a lot of the studies show that in order to get confidence, you need to basically make it happen for yourself. Mm. And so by doing, you actually get confidence. And that was definitely the the, the the thread that I pulled on to kind of conjure up my inner Bezos. He, he, sp- he speaks about like these really complex problems and it's like a kind of like a, I don't know, ball of wool and you just mm. got to pull one to see if it unravels. And if that doesn't work, you just pull the next one. And for me, that's great. It's a great idea spaghetti at the wall trick but sooner or later you come up with scaling issues and so Mm. what i wanted to do and what i realized is that a lot of the businesses that do exceptionally well in our society today are businesses that aggregate demand Mm. so um if you look at an extreme example just look at google basically monopolize the internet um through search and once it has that then it's much easier for it to move into a different vertical like okay we've got google drive and now we've got um, maps and now we've got youtube and you can just see them basically turn the fire hose to a different product mm-hmm. the problem is a lot of people don't know how to do that and um this, the basically the only ways to play these days are uh, you stay in like a regional area uh you're focused like say you have a building you're a builder and you on the central coast, well, you'd advertise on the central coast and you'd stay in that area. So you're geographically bound. And you can use online mediums to do that. But um, when it comes to finance, it's obviously national. So the scope is mm. bigger. And most people, when it comes to finance, just want to get good, reliable information, which I hope we've given to them not just through our websites, mm. but also through our social media and those other means. But the thing that I really was the thing that took me back with podcast, Scott, is, and you would know this, it actually plays into human nature far more powerfully than any other medium that I've come across. Mm. So you could be listening to this right now while I was listening to The Good Oil with you and Lindsay while I was driving. um, (laughs) Lindsay from Brickworks, of course.
1: Mm,
0: Um, And you could be listening to this and hearing my voice and you're driving uh, on your way to pick up the kids or you could be listening to this while you're in the gym. And it sounds like I'm talking directly to you, like Scott and I are having this conversation and you're in the room. And why that's really important, I realized in the early days is because when it comes to finance, people don't want to talk about it. So it sounds mm-hmm. like this discussion is happening in your head and you're okay in this area. You're fine. And mm-hmm. what, what I realized is that's why the podcasts have grown so fast is because for finance in particular, it's something that most people don't want to talk about. Mel Brown talks about this. She mentioned it years ago on Triple J. She said more people would rather stand naked in front of <laughs> other people and talk about their finances, right? Very so true,
1: mate, yeah. yeah.
0: So, so that's how I made the choice, Scott. It was basically for the business perspective. It was I looked across it. We had podcasts. We had websites. Um, we owned our own audience effectively. Like We've never spent in the entirety of RAS, we've never spent more than $10,000 of ads. Um, It's all been uh, content marketing. And what I realized is I was looking, I was thinking, geez, these podcasts are (laughs) growing. They were compounding. I don't know what the word for this is. When we say CAGR, we normally mean compound annual growth rate. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the equivalent is for monthly, compound monthly growth rate. I don't know how I'd pronounce that. But we were growing. (laughs) Over three years, we were compounding our audience at 11% a month. That's crazy. So... So when you look back and you see those that data in your business and you say which of my business lines is growing, it takes a huge dose of humility to be like I thought it was this thing over here, mm-hmm. but that's not nearly as effective as me selling, you know, croissants over here. I didn't think I'd be a croissant baker, but I'm going to do it because that's what's working, and that's how I made yeah. those decisions. So there's a bit of a graveyard of websites that we have, but I hope <laughs> that answers the question in a roundabout way, mate.
1: It does, mate. It's a very good one, and I think uh, you know, our listeners can hear from your. Uh, your description the, the the thought you've put into this and the you, you obviously have read very widely and looked very widely for inspiration for um, inspiration sounds like a to too, too woolly a term but you you're clearly learning at the at the at the knee at the feet of of some of the greats of business and really mm-hmm. refining your approach and I think one of the things I really appreciate about you is the the effort you have put into trying to suck the best out of everything you can get your hands on. You're a learning machine. You've really worked bloody hard to say, what is it that is working over here for them? What can I take from that and put on my business? What can I learn from? So so on that mm. in that vein then, mate, again, for, for those business owners or potential owners, entrepreneurs listening to us, what are some of the things that have allowed you to filter most effectively? There is endless supplies of of self-help books and business books and business biographies and hagiographies and uh, you know trying to sort the wheat from the chaff is not easy um mm. plenty of people want their their version of their story told and frankly mate i've i've gone off a little bit some of this stuff because it's the one person at one point in time with one set of circumstances getting lucky and they had to work bloody hard you can't you can't be successful without being really 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 sorry without working really really hard but also without luck, there's a lot of people who work really hard and never get anywhere. How have you have you gone about filtering the the inputs, the the, the thoughts you've had, the way you've approached uh, your business? How, how have you learned or, or deciphered how to grow uh, from the best sources out there?
0: Yeah, that's such a good point, Scott. I really uh, the way you said that is actually really well said. I um I do try and act a bit like a sponge. Um, if anything is around me that I can soak up, I will, provided it's good stuff to soak up. So. <laughs> I say to my team, I say whenever you go to a meeting, like if you want to go to a meeting and have lunch every day of the week, put it on the put it on the RAS group, go and do that. Mm. But every meeting that you have, learn something because otherwise there's no point, right? Like right. don't just go and speak to someone. Like you see that in a lot of corporate-style businesses. Go and actually just learn something. And you don't mm. have to tell me what it is, but for your own benefit, go and learn that. Um, and so we, whenever we are on a podcast so like this, chatting with you, um, or when we spoke last week, and mm. we caught up last week as well, we did. Um, I would try and uh, learn one thing from that interaction. I have to learn one right. thing. And it's not necessarily something that is a cause of anxiety for me, but I'll get to that in a sec. But mm. it is something that I really do appreciate, like the snowball. And a lot of people think to learn, you have to read a business book. Right. <laughs> and then you realize that most human brains can... You know, process information at five times the speed of the average. You know, uh, ability to read. Mm. So that's why speed reading works for some people. It doesn't mm. work for me. And so you have to find what's right for you. And I treat. I, I found podcasts as a great way to learn. And I used to take notes and do all that sort of stuff. But I think what a lot of people make the mistake of is they don't really have a north star. I was telling the team today. I can't remember where the quote comes from, but it's basically if you don't know where, where you're going, any road will take you there. And <laughs> and it's true, right? Like yeah, it, it is. it's like. No one has that North Star. And so what I try and do is um, I try and just make sure that I understand myself as much as I can. And a lot of the growth that we've experienced at the RAS group is basically what psychologists would call sublimation. So uh, you know a bit about my backstory, but Mm -hmm. I kind of grew up in a bit of a fractured house and um, like pretty messy split up with my parents. And there was a lot of time there where things were incredibly uncertain for me and I remember saying to the team at our first retreat uh, a few years ago, second retreat a few years ago, I said, what's really ironic here is that the RAS Group is a finance company and it's basically built out of my anxiety for money because I didn't have that much growing up. And so now what I know about myself is when we look at things in the newspaper, what we tend to see is we tend to see top 20 most successful people and that's how they'll describe it and basically that's just a rank of people's money that says nothing about their happiness it says nothing about how they spend their days whether they're lonely whether they're sad whether they're happy and we put money there because money is the only currency that is universally accepted and i think the more i realize um chatting to people that are quote unquote super successful the more I realize that a lot of those people are quite sad so um, and they're not happy as you'd expect. And so when it comes to filtering information, this is the key thing that I believe, is that remember your North Star, remember why you are in business, why you are investing, why you are saving money, what you're doing, what is it really. And then everything else should be noise. With the exception of that, you know their incentive. So a lot of people don't know the incentive of journalists or the incentive of people on social media. So when it comes to my information, I'm sure you'll ask me about that in a little bit. But when it comes to my information, I identify with the trusted sources like yourself. I follow you on Twitter, for example. <laughs> um, Sorry about that. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and so, and you you do bridge really well between politics and finance, which is brilliant because it helps me decipher and identify with the trusted source. Mm. Um, and be more discerning with how I consume. And so what I would say to everyone is just find the things that work for you, know the incentives, but know how it aligns with your longer-term vision because you can easily get sucked up in all the other stuff that takes you straight off course. It's, uh, it's easier said than done. I do have a few activities, but that's that's
1: what I do. Nice, awesome, mate. I, um, can I ask you a bit more about that? I, I am fascinated by people who can really framework mentally where they want to be and how they need to get there because there's one thing about absorbing that information and it was a great example, thank you, and I, I'm, I'm mindful that you are obviously trying to do both things. You are, as you say, you want to be financially secure but at the same time you have a real purpose that's not just make the most money but it's actually live the best life and help people and that, that's I always, always find mm. that particularly inspirational. But there's something i find in a whole lot of people one of our former colleagues joe Mega, who's now uh, mm-hmm. back in living in the us has it as well and it's a really really clear ability to kind of keep this I don't know, maybe it's on paper for you or maybe it's mental i don't know i don't know for joe either keep this framework really really clear and build this framework it, it, I, I imagine when people like like you and joe close your eyes you can see the framework you can see where you're trying to go you can see how you're trying to get there you can see what it looks like and if i think about again that the breadth of rask and, and everything that's going on there um i i, I am absolutely sure that having asked you before that there is a there is a master plan of sorts as you say it may not be a hundred year plan or a 50 year plan but there's a plan of sorts of to how you get there And i'm not going to ask you to divulge that because it's competitive uh, you know uh, information mm. but how, how do you go about building that framework, and then keeping it front of mind so you can adjust it over time. I would need to whiteboard it. Uh, You know, how how does it work for you?
0: I think every business, if you haven't already done this, and people can have this as well, right, is have like a mission statement. Mm. It sounds like airy-fairy, but pick up a book like Traction or The E-Myth or whatever, Mm. Um, and it talks about like a, a guiding light. And if you're in the business and you have a team already and you haven't done this, just take the team to a neutral place, like if it's a nice restaurant or a function area or even just the park and sit down with them. Say to them, who are our customers? And get everyone to contribute Mm. Uh, and say, how do we serve them? And then you can have that North Star. But how do I do this personally? I think I have my own personal mission statement. I think about this quite a bit and my purpose in life is basically to have the most positive impact. The thing that I'm most passionate about outside of finance and this type of thing in business is actually space and I don't think I'm going to go to space anytime soon. So, <laughs> okay. um, so I think the thing for me that I feel like I can measure my impact is if in finance and mm. I can see that play out. Mm. Um, and at the end of the day, for a business, I just want to keep it very simple here, but at the end of the day, a business only needs to worry about two things. And I think Lindsay talked about this, um, is you have a cost to to acquire a customer and you have the average revenue that you get from that customer. So there are multiple levers that you can pull, but basically if you can attract a customer cheaper than someone else, that's your competitive advantage. Mm. If you can extract more value from a customer, that's your competitive advantage as long as you can maintain those two things. And if you can do both wonderfully, then you're going to have a fantastic business and everything will be fine. But I take that approach also to the way I spend my time. So, if you just look at like your calendar for the last week, just go back and have a look at your calendar for the last week and see where you allocated time. Yeah. We do this exercise um, where we get people to write down and just they divide a piece of paper into three columns. On one column they have, where did I spend the most money in order? It's normally mortgage, that sort of stuff, yeah. uh, transportation. The next column, where did I um, spend the most time? So we've got finances and time, sorry. And then in the third column, what brought me the most joy? Yeah. And what you'll find is that, There's often most of it's okay, but there's a little mismatch there. Like there's a little bit of a Mm. thing where you see, like I'm spending so much time and energy on this thing, but not on this thing. And Kate, my co-host on one of our podcasts says, um, when was the last time you did a to-do list that said make my insert, you know, friend, family, whatever, Mm. insert whoever, Mm. when uh, make them happy? Like we normally put at the top of our list, get bread, get milk, do the budget, <laughs> you know. But when was the last car, time you actually, yeah. yeah, when was the last time you actually said make um, my wife laugh, you know, and I think those are the types of things where if you do have, that's a framework that you can take through life. And I'll give you one final thing that I do is that basically we get our team to sit down uh, and design they're perfect Tuesday and they're perfect Saturday. So it's just a paragraph or you could do it with emojis if you're more modern than I am. Uh, and basically what you do is you basically just lay out what do you want your ideal day to be. Um, and so when it comes to frameworks for life, that gives you that north star. If you set out, like I'm going to wake up on a Saturday, I'm going to go for a walk, I'm going to make my wife coffee, I'm going to, you know, fix tend to the animals that I've got and then I'm going to spend the day around the house gardening and hopefully go to family. A family uh, dinner or something like that. Mm. If you think about that, you don't need to do much, right, to get to that in Australia, anyway. And so, uh, in terms of frameworks, I think I leave that as a guiding principle. But um, I you know you speak about Joe. Joe's a wonderful um investor and he's a wonderful analyst and he's a great person to boot. So he uh, he's impressed a lot of lessons upon me. Uh, but definitely that understanding, if I could give joe something it would be the understanding of moving to where the markets are mm. so what i mean by that is it was his it was his idea originally he said hey you should go listen to this invest like the best podcast in the united <laughs> states i was like oh that's pretty cool he's like you should probably consider doing something like that in australia and i was like yeah i should and that gave rise to our first podcast um, nice. so yeah move to where the market is going i guess
1: Mate, um, I want to ask you a question. It's not actually I had not intended to ask you. Or it's not even necessarily about business. But I've spoken to a couple of people uh, who are fire, uh, financially independent, retire early adherents uh, on this podcast. And Dave and Matt, I'm hearing it. Yep. Yeah, I'm hearing. I'm hearing a lot more from a lot more people. And I wanted to. Uh, it, you're, you're as I said, you're a young bloke, which means I hate you. But other than that, I love you. And uh, and and I want to ask you about. I want to ask you about the role of money because. You're right, you're in the financial education space. Uh, You obviously write a lot about about investing in companies. You you teach investing. Uh, I do that for a quid, obviously, as well. Um, the, The nexus of that, though, uh, I was certainly brought up, not by my parents, but by society with a more is better. You have to have all the money, you know, do all the things. That idea, as you say, of you, how do you score your life? Well, at least you can count money, so I guess it works. Um, there's a great quote from uh, from Joseph Heller, the guy who wrote Catch-22, that John Bogle, Jack Bogle. Uh, so I've used I've used it before. I've, I've shared it before. But uh, it's the idea that uh, one, one, of, one of Heller's mates, says to him hey that hedge fund manager over there uh he'll make more money in a day than you've ever made from the rights of catch-22 and hella says yeah but i've got one thing he'll never have and the friend says what's that he says enough (laughs) <laughs> and I just, I just, I, it's one thing. I've kind of, you know, um, the other quote is not everything that we counted counts, and not everything that counts can be counted. I'm curious as to how you have given. Given you talked a bit you know, a lot philosophically in the last five or ten minutes about uh, we, we're talking about business, but we're really talking about life and about planning and about understanding motivations and customers and, and colleagues. How, how do you think through how much is enough? How do you how do you talk to your students? How do you talk to your listeners? How do you talk to your team about? Uh, you know, the role of money in our lives, yeah. given that you and I, you know, our day jobs are are all about, you know, making more of it. How do you, for yourself and, and for your team and for the people you work with and, and teach, uh, get mm. that balance right or, or talk to them about that?
0: Yeah, there's some wonderful writers that have gone through the Motley Fool over the years, Jim Sawicki, um, mm. Morgan Housel. And Morgan has this saying in his book, The Psychology of Money, which is brilliant, which is um, – you know, wealth is everything you can't see basically. <laughs> and, and so like being rich is this idea of that you drive a BMW or Mercedes or, you, you know, you live yeah. in a very lovely part here in Sydney where I am today. Um, and that's, that's how most people's minds, that's their version of rich. But the reality is being wealthy is just knowing what you want and being able to do that. Like another f- definition of financial independence is basically being able to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. <laughs> and if you think about yeah. that, yep. you, you're probably closer to that than you realise. And what you, it does, some people say it's some people say budgeting is sacrifice. Mm. I don't believe that. I believe that budgeting is about rearranging priorities. Okay. Because what it actually means, if you know the way you want to live your life. Mm. And money's they're going to have to play a role in that. If you say to me, hey, Owen, do you want to go out and have 10 beers at the pub on the weekend? I'll be like, well, Scott, actually, that's not what I want to do. I want to spend my Saturday getting up in the morning and going for a walk. Did you want to go for a coffee instead? Mm. I've saved myself a heap of money, <laughs> not by sacrifice, yeah, by rearranging what – the conversation was and where we would be spending our time and effort and so mm-hmm. a lot of people sit down and they go oh I don't have enough to do all of these things a lot of the people that I speak to that are in that situation just don't know what truly makes them happy yeah. and so once you discover what that is like start with why um it's 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 like this golden moment that you have this light bulb just go bing and the room lights up and you think to yourself wow I actually realize what I'm doing and um Ramit Sethi, who I think he wrote the book, um, I Will Teach You To Be Rich or something like this, and he talks about this, a Netflix thing on this now. He talks about living your rich life, and basically your rich life is exactly what I've said um, and many others have said before me, which is that once you know what you want, um, it's just a state of mind. Being rich is just a state of mind, and um, it's actually a lot easier than you think and i don't i know this 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 has been up in the clouds a bit this conversation but if you take those steps that i said before about identifying what matters to you how you want to spend your day you can just prune around the outside and find that you'll you'll be better off and i'll give you a tangible example is um i wanted to go and do everest base camp Mm um my partner she in no way in like she'd rather be anywhere else in the world than doing Everest <laughs> Space Camp, right? <laughs> so we're fortunate that we're going to go to Europe next year. we went on one of those post-COVID kind of have to has to happen kind of thing. Yep. Um, and I we just didn't have in the budget that it was only about twelve grand for me to go and hike Everest for two weeks. Um, but we couldn't we couldn't afford to do it, frankly. And so what we've done and what I did through working with my coach is we basically took the experience of what that would mean, the fresh air, the mm. challenge, the being with people out in the open, and we've taken that exact experience and put it into a marathon in Italy. So you basically get 90% of the feeling and the emotion of mm. what you want, mm. but it's only going to cost me about €30. Euros. Um that's and we're going to be in Italy anyway. So that's yeah, where she wants yeah. to be for a holiday. So yeah. you can see example there where I've given up. Yes, I have. There's probably a mild amount of sacrifice there. I won't get the selfie mm-hmm. up in Everest Base Camp or whatever, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But at the same time, I've got 90% of the way there mm-hmm.
1: with one hundredth of the cost. That is brilliant, mate. Lovely way to put it. Hey, um, we're getting towards the end of our, our time together. I want to ask you, though, a little bit about managing a team. Uh, so the Rask Group, uh, Owen Rask, mm-hmm. obviously. So, so this is this is your business, your baby. Uh, you start the business, and I assume it was just you. Uh, maybe it wasn't, but you can tell us that story. You're now managing a lot of people. You're managing a lot of businesses. I'm curious as to how that evolution has been for you, of of going from. I'm doing it all myself Two, i actually have to trust other people to do it, and i have to get the recruitment right and i've got to make sure they're performing and those are all very absolute i'm sure you'll tell me they're great people so they don't need that much help and all that kind of stuff but 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 you know that that's there there is a there is a, a psychological process there's a, there's a risk element of if i have to grow i have to learn to give up but the learned thing is actually what I'm most curious about, mate, is because I don't think you probably managed people before uh, running Rask, or at least if you did, not for very long. You're still a young bloke, as I've said. Um, how did you kind of get go through that part of your you, the, that part of building Rask? How, how did you learn to mm. hire, recruit, delegate, train, coach, mentor, develop, uh, hold responsible a whole lot of other people who you need to to do well to for RASC to be successful?
0: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Scott. I think the. Um, <laughs> It's a work in progress. I think that's the truth. And um, we've been through some pretty harrowing experiences where we've gone from myself to mm. 10 or 12 then back down to myself. And it's been, I, I tell you what, the most horrible thing has been letting go of people, um, particularly when you're a purpose-driven company. Like it doesn't seem like they don't, these are people are my friends. They're basically my family. Yeah. And so when you let go of them and you kind of send them into the abyss and they have to take care of themselves, it's very, um, tough. And that's probably why I don't have that much hair these days, mate. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think for the most part, the way I've thought about it is there are two different types of people. There's basically the leader and then there's the manager. Mm. Um, I would say I'm a better leader than I am manager because one of the things, if you look around at your company or previous places that you've worked, I remember Greg Martz from the Motley Fool, uh, shout out to Greg, um, one thing that a good manager has almost always is time for you. And so I realized early on when I was with building Rask is that I named it Rask and Scott Pape's feedback to me was like, you probably don't want to name it after yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so and so, um, so I did anyway. Um, so basically what what, what happened was, you know, people. The reason why I wanted an individual to stand behind what we do mm. is because if something isn't right, you mm. can come up to me and say that that is bull dust. Right. I don't know if we can swear, but like that is bull.
1: <laughs> I think you to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Um, so, y- because in finance, it seems like no one's accountable. Yeah. You go back to the Royal Commission. there's so am sure there's some fines that are paid and whatever, mm-hmm. but no one's accountable. Like who's yeah. accountable to the retiree who lost all of her savings because of a rogue financial planner not to bash on financial planners at all but Mm. you get the idea um and so i wanted an individual behind that the challenge comes now as you're alluding to that when you go and you extend beyond yourself Mm. and so that's why i think there's a really important role to be had that sits between the leader and the team and that's like in an early stage business that would be like a head of operations they're an exceptionally important person um and we had one and then um she moved on to a different business. Um, so that's the next hire that I'm looking for. Um, and surprisingly in our industry, Scott, a lot of people, I would say you and I are the exception. A lot of people in finance don't like to get behind a camera, don't like to get behind a microphone. And so true. these people, um, tend, they are out there and they do thrive in the startup environment. Um, the the, the key is just finding those people. Mm. So if you are an operations manager and you're looking for <laughs> a job in an early stage scale up, uh, come let us know. But that's what I would say because the, 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 the longer you go, the more you realize you can't do everything. And yeah. if you have to consider your position, are you the leader or are you the manager? And I would say, not to butter my own bread, I would say I'm more suited to being mm. the leader in the strategy style of yeah. things rather than the day-to-day, which I think someone else could do 10x better <sighs> than me.
1: I think that's very true, mate. I think if anyone's been listening to this podcast, they will absolutely agree that uh, you should be spending a whole lot of time uh, doing exactly that because you're obviously very good at it and, and very passionate about it. That's, that's uh, most, of the, most of the work right there. Mate, take us, take us forward again without, without wanting you to give away stuff that's commercially sensitive. Um, you've, you've built in the six or odd years since starting Rask, you've built a, a spectacularly successful business. You have a lot of, uh, as I said, pe- people on your, on your databases. You have a lot of students. You have a lot of listeners. Um, you've done remarkably well. If I ask you, what does RASC look like in five or 10 years' time? Uh, what, what are you hoping to achieve? What are you hoping the business looks like? Um, what, what, what's, what's, the, what's the future? What's the, what's the five or 10-year future for Rask?
0: Yeah, sure. I appreciate you asking. Um, so what I've realized is that we impact about 200,000 people, give or take. Um, what I really want to do is I want to reach the, the other 49 out of 50 people who don't give a rats about their money. And so the way to do that is basically to manage their money for them. And this is not me becoming a quote-unquote active fund manager, so to speak. It's more about taking what financial planners do so well Mm. and that is like protecting people's wealth Mm. and then just giving them a way to do that. Uh, It's very hard to do in Australia with the regulation, but that's my next challenge and that's what we're working on at the moment. Um, And it becomes a whole different layer of scrutiny, um, regulation, insurance, team members, um, these types of things. So I've been building that for about 10 months now. Right. Um, and we should be in a position to release that soon. But that's the big thing. Um, I think the other thing that I kind of would like is it sounds stupid, but I want more money. Scott, frankly, <laughs> because, because I want more money because I want to be able to deploy that money in a way that allows me to cast the net even wider. So I'll give you a really tangible example. I bought the um, the Australian Property Podcast, which is one of our new podcasts, not to be overly promotional, but you'll figure that out uh, if you go to our website. But uh, I ended up buying that um, for $100,000. And interestingly, it was just the name because the the traffic that was there uh, wasn't material to be valued in itself. So... I basically just wanted the IP, so I spent $100,000 on that. And I would love to do more of those deals rather than growing everything organically. Take something which seems to be working but could blossom a little bit better in our stable. Um, and the, the reason why I wish I had more money is because this is happening right now. To The comment at the top of the show was small businesses are struggling. Yep. I would love to see us in five years where we have our businesses which we operate and we the media investing businesses. But more broadly, to be able to have a small portfolio um, for the company where I can deploy that capital in other brands or small businesses and support them. Um, and knowing that they would be able to come to us and have someone who is going to give them advice, someone who's not going to tell them how to run their business hmm. and just basically unleash their creativity and their passion. Um, I think if you just look at Soul Pats here in Australia, which I know you know, I do. Um, <laughs> wonderful business operators because they just let people do what they mm. were born to do and mm. get out of the way um, and that's such a wonderful thing for everyone so that's what I'd love to do on a very 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 small scale in five years from now
1: that sounds exciting mate um, before we get into our favorite questions I do want to go back to something you mentioned at the very top which is the business coaching we haven't really talked about that uh, in particular we spent a lot of time talking about the, the, the media and investing businesses and so I'm, I'm curious as to the, the, the business coaching maybe just in a, in a nutshell tell us a story of how you got into mm-hmm. that uh, what you're finding doing that and how that kind of fits in with the rest of what you're doing.
0: Yeah, sure. So I'll be brief. But um, yeah, basically I started a business coaching uh, business and I was always very skeptic- skeptical of coaches because I always got these emails and messages on LinkedIn saying, yep. Do you want to be a five belt sigma something or other? And I was thinking, this just seemed like a scam. But it wasn't until I started seeing my own psych and my own life coach yeah. who then put it into perspective, the importance of introspection and the importance of being accountable to someone that's independent. Nice. Um, And so as I was working through all these things in my life, Coach, I thought, well, this must be what really good business coaches are all about but for Mm -hmm. businesses. And I thought, this is great. And so I explored that. And uh, we have a business podcast and um, I'm super passionate about it. And I mentioned just a moment ago that I'd love to be able to invest in small businesses. Well, Mm -hmm. investing on the ASX or on the NASDAQ or something like that is very different Mm -hmm. to investing $25,000 or $100,000 in private companies with no shareholder agreement. If they can dig it up from somewhere, then maybe they have one. Or, you know, no proper constitution or no proper bank account or, you know, all of these different things. It's just a total mess. And so what I realized is if I'm going to do that in any meaningful way, I need to get more perspective than just my own business and just what I see from the few thousand companies on the stock exchange. And so I dove into dealing with small businesses um, and... The way I do that is like just like a fixed fee because it's the most transparent. But um, a lot of those businesses, if I could give you some insights to them, I'd say most micro and small size businesses below 10 employees don't have their zero login. Um, that would be my first thing. And why is that important? Full disclosure, I own zero shares. The reason why that is important is because if you don't have your zero login, you don't know what your business is doing financially. Right. So a lot of them don't know that. That would be the first thing, which is bizarre to me yeah. and a little concerning. Uh, the second thing is that everyone is just operating on rules of thumb. Mm-hmm. It's like, I think this is working. I'm not 100% <laughs> sure. I yeah. think that's our yeah. audience. I haven't really thought about it. And it's because they're so busy. Yeah. So just a chance to sit down and talk them through that is um, is really cool. And I mean, I haven't said this to the community yet, but basically, a big part of it is also me trying to identify great businesses that I can support financially. Mm. So, yes. it's that's where the bow comes in and it loops through.
1: Very, very cool, mate. I, I think it's a really important bit of work you're doing, and I think uh, one of those one of those phrases. You know what? I, <sighs> We're taught to kind of avoid cliches, right? Except cliches are cliches because they're true. That's Mm. how they become cliches. And one of those things is time spent working on the business, not just in the business. Mm. And as you were talking about people being so busy, it does strike me that's exactly uh, the challenge that most people have is is trying to find the time to actually work on their business to improve it rather than just the hamster wheel of just do the next thing the next thing the next thing that that perspective is super useful and i'm sure you are are delivering a whole lot of value for for those people mate. let's let's go to our favorite questions um you've mentioned a whole lot of uh a whole lot of gurus a whole lot of books a whole lot of uh, ideas so i'm sure this will be a difficult question for you to answer only because you do so much of it what are you reading watching streaming listening to at the moment
0: yeah, I mean, only you can see this on the video here, Scott, but I've actually got <laughs> the book uh, Traction by Gino Wickman. Um, if you haven't read the book Traction and you're a small business, mm. and by that I mean up to 50 employees, please go and read it. It's the single nice best book I've come across in all my wow. years. Um, just because it gives you a formula, like a, nice. a broad formula for how to get a mission statement, for how to put people in the right seats. Um in terms of, like, what I read, I spent too long on Twitter or X. But, um, <laughs> uh, in, yeah, in, in short, like, I I, I I read a lot of the Farnham Street blog. I, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but exactly. from Shane Parrish. Yep. Yeah. Big it's fan. a wonderful, wonderful person in terms of what he's created. And mm-hmm. um, I listen to his podcast. The number – get this, Scott, the number one podcast I listen to, never listen to ours unless I'm really passionate about the guest, then <laughs> the, the – um, the number one podcast I listen to is the Rule Breaker Investing Podcast by David Gardner hey, in the United States. So uh, for anyone that hasn't already checked out that Motley Fool US podcast, go and check that out. Um, and that would be where I spend a lot of my time. I, I know you're going to ask me about optimism, and I would say I <laughs> default to any source of information that is optimistic. And why right. is this the case? Is because the world is getting better. Hmm. 200 years ago, no one mm-hmm. had a fridge. Now <laughs> even some of the poorest people in the world have a fridge. Yeah. Um, and- The world is getting better. Please go and remember that. Look around you. See everything. Things can be bad and getting better. I think that's the key insight that I got from Hans Rosling in the Factfulness book,
1: but that would be it. I like that, mate, and I'm going to quickly just touch on that because it's a really important point, I think, there there are this as you say you know when i say optimism this gets to i think i'm i'm really sad that people can only see the bad stuff sometimes and it's not the hmm. same as optimism is not ignoring the bad stuff optimism is not saying everything therefore is perfect or no one's doing it tough or there's nothing to improve or any of those things Optimism is saying, "I think we can make things better. I, I think things will improve over time." That—that's—that's the—that's the whole mm, idea behind it. It makes me sad that people say, "How can you say the world's getting better because these people are still living in poverty?" It's like, yeah, you know what they are, and that's something we should fix. There's no but. Yeah, yes, you're right. Also, I'm optimistic, and <laughs> you know those. I—I I find it a shame that people can't. And look, I—you know—I'm arrogantly saying my worldview is right and theirs is wrong, right? So let's be honest about that. I'm—I'm—you know—I might be wrong. Uh, but it just strikes me, as you say, if you look at the arc of history, if you look at the improvements that have been made, investing in general is about you know believing there are going to be better solutions for for new and existing problems. Um, that that idea is so incredibly important. I think you're right. If you if you don't start with look how bed, how much better things are, look how they'll continue to improve. Uh, I don't know how you. In fact, I don't know how people get up in the morning. I don't know how you do it if you're not an optimist. I don't know yeah. how you get no, get out of bed thinking oh another bloody day. Um, it must be a brutally brutally painful thing to to live through, I assume. Mm.
0: Absolutely, man. I couldn't agree more.
1: Hey, um, let's go to uh, – maybe you talked about some of them, maybe you haven't. What trends are you keeping an eye on? What, what, it can be about investing. It can be media. It can be podcasting. It can be life in general, finance or not. Uh, mm. What's fascinating you at the moment? What are you seeing change that you're, you're keeping a close eye on?
0: Yeah, sure. I'll give you two really quick ones. Um, what we've realized – we're just capping off our 10th event uh, today, actually, which is wonderful. Awesome. Um, and uh, the two things that have come out of our uh, national event over the last two months is this – AI. Um, mm-hmm. I don't want to timestamp this too much, but basically, <laughs> um, there's people who just think that it's going to totally revolutionise the world. I think it will, but not in the way a lot of people think. Just like the internet, we didn't know exactly how it would form, mm-hmm. uh, and so I think there's people that believe that it's going to completely upend everything we do. I don't think it's. I just think it's a huge boost to productivity, kind of like the internet. Um, and so I think. If you're, a, if you're a knowledge worker, if you're something like this, find a way to use it to your advantage and mm. do that soon. Don't necessarily buy into the hype around it's going to end the world, it's going to take over. I just don't think that's going to happen. Second, And that's because of the, the optimism point that you just mentioned. Mm. Uh, and the second thing is that um, more and more we're seeing families and couples talking about money. And I think the democratization through things like the Motley Fool, through online brokering, through apps and through the Royal Commission and these types of things, cleaning out a lot of the stuff, I think what, we get, what we've seen is a, the next step in the evolution of people becoming good with money. And the next step is people learning how to learn about all of the soft things. So how do I talk to my partner about money? How do I talk to my kids?
1: Mm.
0: I can't just give my kids money because they'll just squander it. And so I think that's the next generation of what we're seeing in financial education and the, the next generation of Australians, frankly. So I think we'll see that proliferate over the next 10 years.
1: Very cool, mate. I hope those things are absolutely true. I agree with you on AI, by the way. We won't get into that, but I I completely agree. (laughs) Hey, what advice would you give someone who is interested in taking an entrepreneurial journey?
0: Yeah, um, it's the best advice I've heard in the last two years and it came from a guy called Glenn James who runs the My Millennial Money podcast. Um, uh, I think as young men in particular, we underweight the importance of speaking to someone. So whether that's a psychologist, a mentor, something like that, is if you are going to go on this journey Get make sure you're taking care of your mental health because it's mm. a hard road and the easiest thing to do is just get a free mental health plan from someone from your doctor and they'll be able to sort you out for free and just take the time to talk about them. You might think you're fine. We all do. Mm. and That's the irony. But um, I wish I'd known that sooner. Um, mm. Not to say that, that that going on the journey is a bad thing, mm. but I just think it's really important because you've got to know why you're doing it. And if you don't know why, when it gets hard, you won't continue.
1: I love it, mate. This is really important. I like the uh, the folks on mental health too, not mental illness, right? So it's about taking care mm. of your health and uh, like we do in most things in life, you don't wait till you're sick to deal with stuff. You oh, actually yeah. make a make a proactive plan to, to get in front of it. Mate, I'm, I'm going to ask you the last question anyway because it's how I like to finish the podcast and maybe <laughs> maybe it's the same answer, maybe it's different. What specifically are you optimistic about, Owen?
0: I'm optimistic about companies solving more problems. I think companies, businesses, however you want to frame it, are the single best mechanism for solving the world's problems. I'm a very, very hard believer in business being able to do that. Capitalism, asterisks with bumper bars. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that is the reason people go to work and it's the reason companies exist, is they can solve problems cheaper than someone else. So I would say I'm super optimistic about that. I'm super optimistic about long-term investing. I can't believe I even say those three words together because it's just <laughs> investing but um, <laughs> yeah I just I just think if you've got money if you've got
1: time invest it wisely because the world is becoming a better place beautifully put hey mate um, you, there are so many Rask properties around the place but I'm going to ask you anyway and see if you can summarise them for us how can people stay in touch how can they learn more from you how can they get more from you how can they follow you personally and, and the Rask group in general sure you can just head to uh, www.rask uh, it's R-A-S-K
0: dot com that's the easiest it's kind of like our gateway um, but then we have podcasts. You can just search Rask, R-A-S-K. I'm on Twitter. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be followed by Scott, so if you just click on Scott's profile, you might see me in <laughs> there. Oh, and Rask is me. Um, and that's it. Yeah, um, thanks, mate. I really appreciate you taking
1: Mate, Time it's me on. been an absolute joy I am so excited about the things you're achieving mate I'm a, a massive fan from the sidelines and I'm glad I got a chance to share your story both in terms of past present and most importantly future with our listeners make sure you do follow Owen on Twitter make sure you go to rest.com.io and find out more about what he is doing he's doing some really important really fascinating stuff and the world will be a better place uh, for the work that he's doing Owen thank you for joining me on the good oil thanks Scott it means a lot This podcast is hosted by me, Scott Phillips, produced by Ed Gooden, and imaged by Link Kelly.